we go with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Welcome to SBL Shootaround, where in the busiest week of the year, all of a sudden, COVID-19 has has meant that 2020 over the first six months has been a little bit quiet in terms of basketball here in Western Australia. But but here we are, our second show for this week on Man's SBL Shootaround. We are now on the verge of the start of the West Coast Classic, which gets underway on Friday night with a full set of, of fixtures. And of course... This episode is going to be the one where we officially announce the ultimate SBL championship winning team. We're down to the final two teams. It's the Perth Redbacks of 1990, the Swan City Mustangs of 1991, and we will be deciding the winner tonight and announcing it here on SBL Shootaround. And we've got a very special guest from a player from each of those two teams. So I'll let my co-host announce who they are, but when we're talking about royalty in basketball in WA, these two men are two that you don't want to miss us talking to. So there's a hell of a lot for us to get to on this episode. And to begin it all, I'm Chris Pike, your co-host, but the man that is the star of this show, and hopefully he's getting a bit more movement in that knee of his, Ben Entridge. Thanks for joining me once again. Oh, great to be here. And uh, as you said, it's a massive week in basketball. Sorry not to sound like Eddie Maguire there and steal his catchphrase, <laughs> but look, yeah, we're at the really at the pointy end. I know this, it's our final training session tonight. A lot of teams are there. Thursday night's their final final run through. You know, captains will be getting their captains run maybe and having that final chat to the team, and and we we tip it all off on Friday night. So yeah, very very exciting time in the in the West Coast Classic, and and we're down to the the business end of the NCAA. You know, the, the Redbacks versus the Mustangs. I think um, a dream matchup, and viewers might have alluded to it uh, right back at the start that these were two teams we thought could go a very long way. And yeah, really looking forward to having a, a chat and breaking those ones down. Our two guests tonight are, are two of the best. We couldn't have gone much higher up the tree. Can you just let our listeners know who from the Perth Redbacks we're going to hear from, and also who from the Swan City Mustangs, and how excited are you to especially speak to one of those men, but but both of them? Well, I, I alluded to last week that I was uh, on the last show that it was like uh, Christmas Eve and 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 Christmas Day. Well, we've got, we've got the presents and we're opening them up. And uh, two guys who epitomised, I think, their team at the at the time uh, in in WA basketball to could not get two bigger names. So absolutely um, thrilled to have Andrew Vlahoff on to discuss um, the 1990s Redbacks and give us some insight on that. And and also Mr. Magic, if you will, the showtime of the early early 90s, Glenn Ellis, run and stun. Or my memories of Glenn running around, uh, ball behind his back, between his legs, 360, left-hand spinning layup down the lane and talking the whole way through it. So, you know, Glenn's a, a legend of the SBL. He's been around for a long time. His family's still actively involved in the SBL with Glenn and Cody and, and his involvement there at Sterling. So can't wait to speak to, to both of those two men and, and get their insights and pick their brains a little bit about those, those two uh, amazing teams that we've got left. Now, I think you're a little bit surprised. I first mentioned that I would ask Andrew Vlahoff to come on on our show here. How excited are you that you're getting the chance to speak to him? And, and I guess it, it goes to show that we must be doing something right on SBR Shootaround if somebody of that caliber is willing to, to come, come on. 
it's just amazing for me. Um, childhood idol, my memories of Andrew Vlahov from my first vision of Andrew Vlahov was at the 1988 Olympics uh, in Seoul playing for Australia. You know, seeing those games on the ABC late at night when basketball wasn't mainstream. It was you know, 11.50 at night. You'd be getting up and watching him play, play those games. So sort of knew that this kid from Perth was off playing his trade in America uh, and then representing Australia. To me, that was pretty huge. And then uh, when he signed with the Wildcats um, in that, that 91 season, it was just unbelievable to have uh, someone of his calibre come back and play in the league. And then you know, it makes me feel old to think that it was 18 years ago. I'm not sure how he feels, but 18 years ago, he retired. But that you know, size 15 footprint of Andrew Vlahoff is still very, very much um, on the Wildcat and, and the things that he stood for and the things that he brought through as far as the, the winning culture. And then, you know, it's also great to see, you know, his, his son running around with the Redbacks playing mm-hmm. for my former coach there, CJ Jackson, as well. So looking forward to have a chatting, chat to him about all things basketball and, and how basketball has been that catalyst for his life and where he is now as he, as he progresses into you know, the professional world. And he very, he's very proud of that 1990 Redbacks team as well. So he'll be putting the case forward for them to win our NCAA tournament. I'm sure Glenn Ellis will make a strong case for his 1991 Swan City Mustangs team as well. Now, we got to this championship game after in the final four, we had the, the Redbacks beat the Goldfields Giants from 2007. And then we had the, the Swan City Mustangs beat the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2003. That was the close one. That was only decided by four votes in the end. 55% had went the way of the Mustangs. So that was a close one. The Redbacks were a little bit more comfortable against the Giants. Are you pretty happy with the final two teams that we've, we've got to? Yeah, I think uh, as I, uh, as we see, Mark and I did split these two down the middle. So, yeah, very happy that the, that Redbacks 90s team has, has got there. I think from, from the get-go, that blow-off Longley combination was always going to be tough. Uh, the Cinderella. I guess you will. Um, the team that's that's made it through that that one-off championship, that one team that came together, you know, not despite the odds, but maybe you know, you just had to manage the egos there. Norm did a great job of that. That '91s Mustangs team, talent-wise, for me, was was always going to be a, a contender as well. So, yep, happy where we've got to. It's been a bit of a journey. Um, if we've got people talking about basketball, and as we said, we we managed to get the great man Andrew Vlahoff to to come on and and give us his thoughts. So, um, we must be doing something right. Yeah, that, let's hope so. Yeah, so as I said, as this show unfolds, we'll have Andrew Vlahov making his case for his Redbacks, Glenn Ellis making the case for the Mustangs, and then between yourself, myself, and Mark Utley, we'll be announcing the winner of our ultimate SBL Championship winning team. So it's going to be quite an exciting episode, and, and then we'll finish off with previewing round one of the West Coast Classic. So there's plenty for us to get to very quickly. A couple of days ago, we released our last episode with, with a chat with, with Steve Charlton, and I had a great time having having that sort of a chat with him. And the difference between, I guess, the interviews I do with coaches post-match, where we're focusing on the action on the court, between actually sitting down and having chats about their whole life story on this podcast, is, is just fantastic. And I'm learning so much about all of these great personalities from WA Basketball. And I'm sure, even though Charlie's somebody that you've known for, you've, you've known him for almost 30 years, going back to those Williston days, I'm sure you've learned more about him in that chat than you knew before as well. It's an uh, unfortunate part of the job when a lot of the time the relationships you do build with people outside of basketball, they're asking you about what's just happened. And yeah. as a coach, and Charlie alluded to this when he spoke about that first time up in Kalgoorlie and he's got the two local newspapers, the two radios and the two TV stations, You and I've spoken about it before, you learn very quickly as a coach that everything you say is going to be 
twisted and analysed and taken out of context and next thing you know you caused an uproar just because you've you've spoken about something that you at the time thought was innocuous and, and you're just telling the truth. So those conversations that you have directly after a game can sometimes that's why you see the AFL guys just trot out the, the cliches it's one week at a time you know we're, we're looking forward to getting out on the park and we're doing it for the boys and all that sort of stuff and coaches tend to gravitate towards that because you know, as much as you, you block out the white noise you, you're smart enough to to not listen to it but you do hear it and yeah. you it's human nature you don't want you don't want to be upsetting people that's not what we're in this business for so you tend to be very guarded in those conversations but as you say you know these conversations that we're getting to have with people we've had some people tell us some amazing things because it's um, you know, it, it, it is a conversation it's almost like you're yeah. sitting down and having a beer with people and, and they're, they're willing to share and I've shared some stuff on here as well and you know those things that you, you draw out of people it is it's great and it shows you that coaches are vulnerable and it is a very very tough gig you know as charlie said you know players win games coaches lose them and that's a really really tough thing for coaches to to handle and it's why you see coaches burn out and it's why you see coaches have relationships that don't work because they are putting themselves under so much pressure and we spend a lot of time working with our athletes on their mental health and making sure that they are able to cope with the stresses and all those sorts of things that go along with going out and trying to perform and one of the things where i think we do fall down is that that mental health and that support that we can give to coaches and even young coaches. Like a, a coach out of their depth coaching an under-14s team when they've got you know seven or eight sets of parents all on them about their kid should be getting the court time or whatever. You know that that's pressure, and mm-hmm. you know we, we do a, do a lot to try and alleviate that. But I think that we can do a lot more to help coaches on that journey and when they are in the grind at that elite level, that you know that support is there so that they are comfortable talking about it and they are comfortable sharing. So, yeah, absolutely love that chat with Charlie. Again, one of my first two coaches I had when I when I moved up to Perth and, and, and got to Willerton. And, again, someone that he was thrown in the deep end, but we were also thrown in the deep end as well. And I think we I think we made it to a semi-final that year, which was probably wasn't bad for a bunch of, bunch mm-hmm. of uh, tag-alongs there at, um, at, at, at the Tigers. I have to ask you a follow-up question. Has that ever happened with a chat that you've had with me and then I've gone to write something on the SBL website that you've later regretted? Uh, no, because, you know, you, you don't, again, you're not trying to upset people and you're doing your yeah. job and I'm doing my job. Um, yeah. So I, I think maybe the, the one time that I did chip you a, a little bit was that we hadn't spoken for a whole season and your response was rightly so that you knew you were going to get four weeks of me in the in the finals. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're 100% correct. So on we go with our day. No, no harm, no foul. And we're sitting here, we've been okay. doing this for the last 10 weeks. So that's what it is, though. And Again, we do get caught up in our own little world. At that point in time, you're writing for water polo, you're writing for, for, for the waffle, you're writing for the SBL, you're writing for the WSBL, you're doing all these other things. And there I am mm. sitting there going, oh, Chris Pike hasn't sent me a message. Why aren't I important? And then you sit back and go, well, you know what? You're not. You're in the grand scheme of things. You're one of <laughs> 20 coaches in the SBL. Mm. So he's doing his job. Just worry, get over there and do your job, Ben. You worry about what you're doing. And when you do that, life becomes a lot less stressful for you. Yeah, you really don't take yourself so important. I know that's a line from a movie, but you won't, or you won't get out. I think that's how it goes, something like that. So it's like, yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, we're all doing the best we can. We're not out there actively trying to upset the apple cart and, and do that. And I know Dan said, oh, it's good to have people that, that mm. will say things that, 
that spurn interest and all that. You know what? Yeah. It, it's not intentional. We're just we're just doing it because in the spur of the moment, you, you might be trying to just yeah. give the most open and honest answer because you want to be you want to be genuine. You want people to actually see you do care about what you're doing and it means something to you. See, of course you're going to be open and honest. So I'll always be open and honest. I'll always always say what I'm thinking. And look again. In this in this role at the moment, if that gets people talking about stuff, then that's great. But um, mm. the the intent is never to um, never to upset people or, or make people feel like you don't you don't respect them. Uh, I do remember that. It really it really actually got to me because I I thought we'd always got along great, and all of a sudden I thought, oh shit, I've, I've upset him. I need to, you know, it wasn't anything personal that I hadn't spoken to you for that period of time. It's just like you said when I'm dealing with you know 14 SBL teams and 12 WSBL teams. Sometimes it goes a little bit of time before I can speak to to everybody all the time. But yeah, I mean that that really got to me. I really wanted to make sure that you knew that it wasn't personal and that I I still had the same respect for you that I do that I do now. So I'm glad that we were able to that you were able to to understand that from my point of view it wasn't wasn't personal. And I'm glad we could could move move on from from that. And I like to think that in my role I've taken it I've taken it as my responsibility to promote the SBL and to promote the people in it. So that's what I've tried to do and I've, I've, I've taken that very seriously, both writing for the league and now during this podcast, I think what I'm passionate about is promoting the people involved in the game of basketball. So I wanted to, I wanted to give you a voice on the on this show to, to express yourself and to expand, expand your horizons a little bit. Same with Randy Meagle to keep him involved in basketball without him being, being a coach. And same with all of our guests. I wanted to give them a voice to, to share their basketball journey. So whether it's on this podcast or with the stories I write, that's that's what I've always tried to do. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm only one person, so I've always tried to do the, do the best I can. And hopefully, there's I haven't upset too many people along the way. I've tried to get along with everyone the best I can. And, and as I say, we're we're all here doing our best. We're all uh, at that at that precise moment. What we that decision we make, I guarantee, mm. human fundamental in our DNA that we're not trying to upset people. We we all want to get along. Um, and we're all doing doing the job because we love it. And again, sometimes, as I said all along, communication is the key. All it takes mm-hmm. is one from me, one back from you, and we're good. You know, that's that was yep. the thing. It's not like Mark Utley leaves my uh, leaves my text message sitting there for six weeks about his assistant coach. It's you know, it's <laughs> it, it, and that's the thing. You know, it's 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 um, we're all here for the right reason. And I remember the next time I spoke to you, I think we I wanted to speak to you as quickly as I could afterwards, so we did an interview. Over the phone, I was actually really nervous. I was like, "Geez, I, I think he's going to be pretty, pretty grumpy and angry at me." But once we actually spoke again, it was just like picking up from exactly where we left off. So that's it. Yeah, we, I probably, I, I probably had something happen in the day that you know, and that happened to be the the thing that crossed my mind as as you said. And that's the problem with text messages too. Like you know, we we use them so much, but you, you just can't get your point across in a text message, and you you. You miss a punctuation point or put a wrong capital letter or hit an exclamation mark at the end and next thing you know, again, pick up the phone, have a chat or, like you said, get face-to-face with someone and um, and you can talk it out and you can get all those things across that, that you need to. So, Or you send the wrong the wrong message to the wrong person, which I... I oh, God. Um, I, I, I won't mention any names, but it was a, it was a football player and he had... He had confided in me earlier in the day that he was about to announce his retirement and that he was just sick of playing footy, but he didn't want to make it public. And I, I was messaging, I, I was messaging my girlfriend at the time, and I said he's about to announce his retirement. I can't believe he's, you know, he's he's doing this, but I've got to keep it quiet. And then all of a sudden, I sent it to him, and he's he just, oh god, he just he just messaged back saying, "Dad, what, what, what the hell?" And yeah, that was that that took some smoothing over, as you can as you can imagine. Now, before we wrap up this first 
segment, Ben, on SBL Shootaround, and we get to Andrew Vlahov, which which is incredibly exciting. You've almost answered my question without notice because my question this week was, who is your dream guest to have on SBL Shootaround? And I think, based on what we've talked about, Andrew Vlahov would be very close. So, if it's not Andrew Vlahov, who is your who is your number two as a as a dream guest for us to to speak to? Uh, again, this is going to be an easy one for me to answer. Vlahov, absolutely blown away that he's joining us today. But first person that I said to you, and I know we had James Fitch on as that yep. first inaugural guest, but I'd love to have Jeff Anderson on and mm-hmm. speak to him about his journey in basketball. Jeff, to me, is the was my you know the first superstar that I got to be around. You know, the respect of of his career. And everything he's done in this league, I would absolutely love to have Jeff Anderson on and, and speak to Jeff about his, his journey in basketball and, and, and all the things that he's done. Well, let's make it happen. I'll be, I'll be going down to Willington on Friday night for the first official game there at Willington Basketball Stadium. So if I, if I see Jeff, I'll, I'll go and bump into him and introduce myself and let him know what we're doing. And hopefully in the coming Excellent. weeks, we'll, we'll speak to him. But for now... That would be that's, amazing. That's, yeah, it will. it will. Absolutely. But speaking of amazing, Andrew Vlahov is about to join us after this on SBL Shoot Around. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and we've talked about having treats so far on this show, being over our first nine episodes, but a treat doesn't quite cover this. And when I introduce all of our guests, I run through what they've done in basketball. But if I was going to do this for this man, we'd be here all day. I mean, his basketball legacy in, in Western Australia and Australia is is unbelievable. And the fact that he's a Hall of Famer pretty much says it all. But to to, to have done the things that, that this man has done, the championships with the Perth Wildcats, the 349 games, grand final MVP. I mean, it just goes on and on. Four times he went to the, to the Olympic Games playing for Australia. It's just unbelievable what this man has done. And it's a hell of a pleasure for us to have him on our show. Andrew Vlahov, how do we find you this morning? I'm very well, gentlemen, and thank you for inviting me on. No worries at all. It's a, a great treat to, to have you on our show. When you, do you ever get a chance to reflect on what you did during your basketball days? And, and I mean, I only just touched the surface on, on your achievements there. What sort of things are you, how much pride do you take if you do ever take the, the chance to sit back and reflect? I look at that occasion to do that from time to time. And uh, in fact, as recently as last night, because my kids pointed out that Damien Martin's got six championships and I only had three. So uh, <laughs> so uh, always a bit of banter around our house around that. But look, I've been very lucky. I think basketball has been extremely good to me. found it as a, as a sport after having a dabble with footy and even before that, a bit of soccer. Cricket was too boring for me, so I only had one season of that. But um, mm. I just absolutely loved the game and, um, and I felt the... The camaraderie that came with it and um, the fun that we always had as teams made up uh, almost just as much as the enjoyment of, of competing on the floor. So, yeah, I've been very lucky with basketball and taken me all around the world and got me educated and so forth. So I can't, I can't complain one little bit and, uh, and I feel blessed and privileged to, um, to, to have had the, the life in basketball that I've had. And you're still one of the most high-profile athletes in WO. And I was watching TV the other night, and there's your whole family turning up on TV. I still can't can't escape the sight of you on my TV. 
take it away from me. Yeah, no, look, it's, um, that, was a, that was a lovely opportunity, actually, for our family to be involved in something like that. And um, the very good people at Joyce Kitchens uh, looked mm-hmm. after us. And we, had a, we actually had a, a great family night just shooting that commercial. So it's, um, it, it was something a little bit, you know, you get a bit old and fat and slow like I am, and um, you don't get those opportunities too many, too many times. It actually did look like a lot of fun, and, and like you kind of said in that commercial, it was a rare chance, I guess, during this whole whole time we've been going through, a rare chance for your whole family to actually be, be together, and that probably hasn't happened a lot in the last couple of years. No, in fact, um, you know, you know, COVID has been a, an awful thing for the world to deal with, but on a micro level for us, it's provided uh, the opportunity for our children to come back home under one roof, and that hasn't happened for five years. So we, we've been, again, lucky and blessed that, um, that that's happened for us. And it's been fantastic, you know. Um, the, the re, I guess, connection of our kids uh, with each other has been quite special to watch, actually. And I'm sure many families feel the same. That it, it enabled them to have a little bit more family time and certainly even perhaps reset a few of the things uh, in life that what's most important. And uh, Andrew, um, you know, I'm a little bit uh, in awe at the moment. I was telling Chris off air that if there was one person that I didn't think that I would ever get to speak to on this show, it was probably someone like yourself because of uh, where you sit in my um, my, my pantheon of, of Australian basketball players. So it's a it's a huge honour to to have you on the show today. And what the question, you know, the thing that I I've been asking a lot of a lot of the guys that have come on and spoken to us is, you know, you, your mum and dad were high level athletes representing Australia at a, at a Commonwealth Games, and you know, your dad held records in Australian sport for a very long time. Given that their background was track and field, and you've just sort of said that you you dabbled in those those other sports, who who was the person that put a basketball in your hand? Well, it was actually my dad. He, he only started playing himself when he was 20, and he was doing that as sort of extra training in between weightlifting and, and stuff for his discus career. So he started playing, and then, you know, you tag along with your dad to various training sessions at the old Perry Lakes, which some people might remember um, yeah. if you're old enough on the show. But um, So that's actually, uh, you know, I used to show up, and, uh, and the other kid that used to show up was Luke Longley. So that's how our friendship started. Uh, we both met at our dad's training session for the Perth Redback back in, I think it was 1982. And then, and then you know, the rest is history, I guess. But yeah, I, like I said, my parents were um, really good role models for me around the physical side of things and having two older sisters that were extremely competitive, both of whom also represented Australia. They um, they provided a great environment. So when you're growing up, you don't know anything but trying to beat your sisters. And that's what I think probably created that competitive DNA in me that, um, that still exists today. Yeah, again, that that was definitely one of the things that you know, shone through all through you, through your career. And that, those, those early days, I guess, so you're even going back further than we've spoken about the SBL and about the district, but I guess an under-16s or an under-14s team with, with the names Vlahov and Longley on them. What what was that like? Was, uh, were you just running the, t- the table or was there a bit of uh, you know, learning learning the game because you, you were both sort of, you know, I would imagine that at that stage, basketball wasn't everyone's first sport. So what was those those early things like there? Yeah, look, it, it was quite funny because basketball was, you know, that sort of alternative sport in the early 80s. Yeah. But having, um, I, I was very lucky. I had two, I think, really good junior coaches, a bloke by the name of Ed Rogers, um, who passed away recently, and a guy called Ian Frame, who... Um, Yes. I think he's still head of sport out at Guildford, but Framey okay. um, was my coach for a long time because he was the head of um, PE at 
at Kent Street where I went to school and we formed a basketball club in, in year eight. Framey was our coach. And then by year 10, I was his teammate on the A-grade side in um, playing district. So I got a, I got a really good grounding. And Framey was all about fundamentals and, and discipline in training. Um, and again, that was a great grounding for me. So I owe those two blokes a lot. And the, the other bloke that's always in the background that was always watching, I guess, what I was doing in the backyard and correcting my technique was my father. So he, um, yep. he was extremely influential on, again, he was a huge believer in fundamentals and establishing that as your strength rather than trying to do anything too fancy. Okay. Now, obviously, we don't need a reason to speak to somebody like you, Andrew, but specifically this week, I wanted to have a chat to you about this 1990 team that you were part of at the Perth Redbacks because we've been running this this tournament to try to decide the greatest SBL championship winning team, and we're now down to the final two teams. So we're down to the, the 90 Redbacks that you were part of, and as it turns out, you end up up against the 1991 Swan City Mustangs in the championship game. We've talked a lot about this 1990 team, and... From the very start of this tournament that we started, we thought they were the favourites to, to go all the way, and, and you were the major reason for that. Your season, 35.2 points a game, 12.7 rebounds, and we, we spoke to Michael Farrell a few weeks back, and he, he had done some numbers, and, and you were far and away the most efficient and productive player in any championship team over the 32 teams that we had in this, in this tournament. What are your reflections of, of that season? What a great season, and we'd won the championship in <clears throat> in 1989 as well. So we were, you know, we we had to defend it, and um, it was quite interesting because we had to um, convince Luke that coming to training was a good idea rather than <laughs> uh, paddle boarding or scuba diving or something else. So it was, yeah, yeah. it was always a lot of fun. But training um, back in in that 1990 team when we had uh, such a such a strong starting five and and a and a really competitive bench that um, that we had a really good balance. So I, look, I, I look back on that on that team and think back in our, our younger days we were we were keen to actually have a crack at the 1990 Wildcat squad, um, oh, wow. and we. We were we well the the rumour is that our coach had a, <laughs> requested uh, a scratchy that they declined. Okay. So um, wow. so it was it was probably uh, it was a great boost for our league, but it was probably because they were too busy. But um, <laughs> we, we we had a hell of a squad. Um, you know we had Jimmy Tharp as a point guard. We had CJ Jackson who ended up being Mr Triple Double. Mm. Um, and luckily for me, uh, both those guys were sort of just great teammates as well. Um, and so we had great team chemistry. We had young blokes uh, coming through. Um, so we had the full package. It really was a special team. And, and you know, from we, we played D uh, and we played O. Um, so we were pretty confident going into any game that we had every team's measure. Would you beat this Mustangs team from 1991? Oh, comfortably. Comfortably. <laughs> there's, there's not even a shadow of a doubt. I mean, it's... Um, and I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm saying oh, that uh, the, uh, the weapons that we had at our disposal, they had a lot of Americans in that squad. And, and but ultimately, for me, um, it was the balance that our team brought at both ends of the floor that would give us the edge there. Someone that we, and I don't mean to, to skip around a bit, but we, we've spoken about the 89 team as well and that being such a great team and someone that I, I didn't get to see play because I was sort of a bit of a naive teenager at that time and wasn't going to a lot of SVL games was, was Matt Beeswart. 
And yep. he he seemed to be yeah, just looking at his stats and talking to a few people, that sort of prototypical point forward, if you would, that was a bit before his time. Was was that kind of how he played or is it have I got it a little bit off off kilter there? No, Matty Maddie should have been in the NBL and um he was unlucky in that eighty nine going into that ninth that there was not the opportunity presented at the Wildcats, but he would have comfortably been a very good NBL import. Okay. He was a better team. Um so the, he was first team all Pac-10 back then, or now it's called Pac-12, and he, he just had the complete package. He was a scorer when you wanted him to score. He played great D, uh, and he had a phenomenal passing ability. So, yeah, he was way ahead of his time. You know, if, if you... The guy that probably reminds me most about Matty was, was Sean Reddish, who was okay. just a hell of a competitor. Played both ends of the floor, could score when you wanted to score, and... Um, you know, just a good bloke all around too. I'm not sure if Sean fits that last last part of your comment. <laughs> He's a good bloke all around. Don't worry about Sean. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, jumping back to 1990, the thing that Michael pointed out, I know Mark and I, Mark Utley and I, sort of combed through this as well, was the the shooting stats that you put up in that year, especially from the three point line. It just seemed to be. Uh, in these early teams, it wasn't that heavy reliance as there wasn't back then on the three-point line. But you were your clip from the three-point line was phenomenal, and you were taking sort of six or seven of them a game. Was that something that you were specifically working on in the SBL because you knew you needed to take that to the next level, or was it just that was where because you had a dominant big inside like Luke that was probably dragging teams in? Um, that just was where was where you could find your spot. Probably a little bit of both, to be honest. I, I really wanted to develop my outside game. And, you know, from a physical point of view, playing uh, against the other guys inside, I, I sort of felt like I had sort of not conquered that, but was pretty pretty decent at that. But I, my weak point was my three-point shot. So over that 89 summer, um, I put a lot of work in. And, yeah, I did, I did end up um, taking a lot of threes. I think I... I may have even hit 11 in the semi-final against these Perth. Yeah. Um, I, I had back-to-back 50s in that in that semi. <laughs> um, I had 55 first night and 51 the second. Wow. And I know that I was just on fire that day. It literally felt like I could throw it from anywhere and it was dropping in. And uh, yeah. that, that rim had caught one at Perry Lake. Uh, was Very friendly. Was so forgiving <laughs> that, yeah. um, that I think a few extra rolled in along the way, but... Yeah, look, I'm, I don't know what my stats were percentage-wise. Oh, but I can uh, if you want. It was, uh, you, you shot them at 38% that year, which, again, at, at that time in the 90s, if you, you were hitting at 30%, people considered you a three-point shooter. So you're, you're at 38 and you were hitting about three a game, so on average taking seven. So, yeah. Well, I, I, I know I jacked a few up, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scotty, Scotty Osborne, who was a, a good friend and a, and a teammate, uh, he once commented and think about Tracy did it that. That I passed it to him once because it fell out of my hand. <laughs> uh, if you're doing it like that, if you're hitting 11 in a semi final, then you've got all the right in the world, I guess, to keep shooting. So, um, well, what well, Johnny didn't uh, know was that was the coach said, Listen, don't pass it to Scotty, just shoot it. Only joking, only joking. Obviously, plenty of fascination around this team as well because of Luke Longley. And you, you talked about how, you know, eight years earlier you started your basketball journey together, you would end up being. You know, co-owners of the Wildcats together as well. Ten years after this, but what, what was it like to share these championships with him at the Redbacks? 
Oh, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it's um, at the at the time when you're in the moment, you probably you don't sort of understand it. But you know, as you get older, you sort of reflect back on how fun it was. And you know, whenever a team wins a championship, you know, it's a special year for sure. And then to be able to do it back to back with largely the same group of guys, we, we you know that was a it was a special time for the club. And you know, the emergence of the game of basketball also was a you know a special time. So you you know, Wildcats are going nuts. SPL's going nuts. You know, there were crowds of, goodness me, I don't know, it'd be over a thousand people used to come to our Redback games. And, um, you know, we had, we, we enjoyed great support across the community and we had great sponsors, uh, back in those days. Birds would look after us really well and, and we were, um, you know, we were, we were very happy campers. Mm-hmm. Did it, did it ever, so I'm looking at the, again, at the resume and, and again, I know a lot of the, the story. There's a time in there, like I'm looking at, you know, an Olympic game from 1988, which probably meant that you're on the radar at least 18 months for that. And then you've got Olympic games, 88, 92, 96, 6,000, World Cup, 90, 94, 98. So essentially every two years you're hitting a major at that time, playing basketball all year round, essentially, because you're here at college, coming back, playing in the SBL in the off season. Did basketball, did you ever just at some time just go, this is just a carousel of airports and, and gear bags <laughs> and, and that? I know when I was doing that at a lower level, it sort of felt I'd get to the end of the year and I'd walk onto an airplane and I'd smell the airplane food and I'd almost throw up because I was just sick of that continual travel. Yeah, was that, did you ever lose the passion? I guess is what I'm asking. No, <clears throat> and um, you know, you, you just reminded me of a of a funny memory that I had. Um, I went away with the Australian Junior Team in 1987, and we finished we finished fifth, which is the highest ever finish for Australia. 88, I went to the Olympics. 89, won the SBL Championship. 89, I went to the NCAA for with Stanford. 1990, won uh, SBL Championship. 91, won an NBL Championship. 92, went to the Olympics, and literally played basketball for five years straight without a week off. Wow. And uh, had, had pretty good success. Well, I guess that you know when you are when you are having that success, the the little the little injuries or being tired, you you, you get up and around it. Was there? You say you had a couple of you know, Luke was a, a big influence in those Redbacks team, but in in those early Wildcats days, was there someone that again you, you're coming in, you've got a, again a pretty big resume. Who was the person at that Wildcats in that Wildcats environment that took Andrew Vlahov under under their wing if they could? And showed you the ropes of what it was to be an NBL player, professional player. Well, it was probably a couple of combination of guys. Mike was uh, Mike Ellis was was you know a great leader for our team and the other sort of dominant West Australian, I guess, on the on the squad. Uh, you know, when you walk into training and your matchup is either James Crawford, Pete Hansen, or Tiny Pinder, or Steve Davis, um, and you're a sort of 21-year-old, you've got your work cut out for you. So I really admired James Crawford's professionalism uh, at training and his attention to detail. Like, they refused to dunk at training. And I remember asking, you know, Joe, why, why don't you just throw that down? He goes, there's only so many left in these legs, and I'll keep them for the game. Uh. And, <laughs> and he... And he sure did, but um, I mean, practice in my first year with uh, we had Murray Arnold as a coach, who was a uh, defensive-minded coach, but absolutely loved to see physical carnage at training. So there was rarely a foul called. Yep. And it just bred that environment of you know no blood, no foul, and if you're uh, if you're not up to the task, everyone would let you know about it. And um, 
is a pretty competitive environment. I'm not sure you're even allowed to do some of that stuff these days um, in terms of, of how you can ridicule a, a, another person. But it was the school of hard knocks for me and, and I got a great grounding from those guys. Pete was, you know, a good mate and, again, you know, pushed each other in the gym. He was super physical and, and, and all of those guys were just serious competitors and add in bloody Grace, who, um, who was just the maestro in knowing where you need the ball, how you need the ball, who to give it to, who needs the ball, who's running hot. You know, we had, we had, oh, I, I just really enjoyed that, um, that first year as a rookie. It couldn't, couldn't have gone any better. I started my first two games. We went one and one, and then the coach benched me for the season. Uh, <laughs> I, I came off the bench for the rest of the season. Okay, we're going to cut that chat with Andrew Vahov just short. But we'll save it for next week because we have plenty more to cover on this week's show. But stay tuned to SBL Shooting Around next week for very much more from the Perth Wildcats, the Perth Redbacks, the Australian basketball legend Andrew Vlahov. But up next, we'll hear from, from Glenn Ellis as we continue our chat about the NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL championship team. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and you can't have an SBL show, Ben, without speaking to members of the Ellis family. And and this man, he has, his involvement in basketball as a player and a coach is remarkable. And if you go to Warwick Stadium these days still, you'll hear, hear his dulcet tones on the microphone as well as, as the court announcer. And as an inaugural Perth Wildcats player, an SBL championship winner, a five-time Coach of the Year in the SBL. Glenn Ellis, you've had a hell of a life in basketball and it's still continuing. Thanks very much for joining us. Oh, it's been, it's my pleasure, Chris. Um, there's, uh, the basketball's booming bigger than ever, mate. It's a uh, very popular sport. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of good basketball to come. Now, you're still frequenting Warwick Stadium quite often and as we've spoken about on this show, that's where Ben... Ben went down with his injury, and I believe you were even there on the night. Mate, I was quite happy to to help the you know the pushing of the, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah pushing him into the hospital. But he had he had he was like signing autographs on his way to the ambulance. But then was going, that's that's Ben Etridge, that's Ben Etridge, and he hit his last shot when he went down, oh, and he was signing autographs all the way to the ambulance. <laughs> oh, that's a stitch up, uh, Glenn. Uh, very good, very good. No, look, I um, yeah, uh, a lot of people did walk past and, and wish me well, and 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 saw it happen. And um, yeah, look, uh, yeah, on the road to recovery. But yeah, um, yeah, if, if you do want one, Glenn, send me your, your email address, and I'll email you an autograph if you want one. <laughs> mate, from what I've heard, Ben, it was horrific, mate, and I do wish you well because I heard it was Thanks, it was really bad. So. I'm really sorry to hear that, all jokes aside, mate. Not not good at all. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, mate. No, no problem. Do you ever get much of a chance, Glenn, to sit back and reflect on everything you achieved? Because some of your accomplishments, 116 games in the NBL with the Perth Wildcats, including being part of the first ever team, you know, 140 games in the SBL, but you played, obviously, you know, well, plenty before that in the district competition as well. And, you know, as part of that 1991 Swan City Mustangs championship team, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But then 
As a coach, especially in the women's SBL, to be a, a five-time coach of the year is an, it's just an it's an unbelievable achievement considering the level of competition you're you're facing as rival coaches. I mean, as a player and a coach and and everything else that you've done as part of the Ellis family in basketball, do you ever get a chance to sit back and and sort of look back at and and be proud of what you have achieved? To be honest with you, Chris, uh, you sent me the text through. Um, on those sort of uh, details, and I didn't even mm. realise that until you'd actually oh, wow. you'd sort of messaged it to me, and I went, oh, I didn't even realise that, so I thought, he's done his homework really well, but <laughs> I guess, you, you know, you just, I guess you just try and remember the good things, you know, we talked about that grand final, and there's certain things that you just remember that was just like highlights, but, you know, I, I guess I just had a passion, a whole family's got a passion for basketball, and, and we enjoy it. And it's good when you send those through, you think, oh, well, I do remember, you know, winning that mm. championship. I do remember that. But it's, um, it's, I guess it's just moving forward. Now I've got to the stage where my, my son and daughter are playing basketball. And I don't, you know, I don't want to push them into it. But I, I really obviously like them to play basketball because that was our preferred sport. And, and hope they, and my son's just started playing wobble. So that's why I'm down at Warwick a lot. Because I get asked to help out with that, and uh, yeah, I just hope that he's successful and 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 what he does, he enjoys as well. I'm hearing you with that one. My little bloke's just uh, just starting to pick up a basketball. He did his first basketball camp um, at uh, Kingsway, and then Wayne Simmons was his coach for that, and he absolutely uh, adored Wayne and, and loved being around him. And it's inspiring that um, that love of the game that we probably had when we were growing up and there was nothing else that we wanted to do other than run around with a with a basketball in our hands. Oh, Ben, I mean, I know Wayne Simmons really well. When I was trained with the Wildcats, he was a train-on, and there's always a good story. You, you find a lot of good friends and, you, you know, have a lot of good sort of memories of, of that. But I remember he was the fittest guy. I mean, I thought we were fit, but everyone would get a chance for a sub while we're scrimmaging full court. And his up was skipping on the sideline that was his yep. and, he, <laughs> yep. and he's still as fit as ever at his age and doing clinics and I love how passionate Wayne still is and I'm glad I'm glad you've got your kids there because he's very passionate he's got a lot to give very friendly and you know he loves the game just as much as we do but man he was super, still is super fit as you would see yeah Yep, no, he is, he is. And you know, we, we chatted with him and, uh, about those early Wildcat days. We had Bryn um, on last week talking about the, the, the formative years of the Wildcats and that must have been absolutely huge for you know, not only for you and, and, and your brothers but also for your dad you know, seeing that, that Wildcats team come into the National League. What was, what was that like um, you know, in, in those formative years? Well, I guess like I remember back in 1982 when... And the very first game was against Kel Bruton, James Crawford, the likes of that played for Geelong Supercats. And our first game, Henry Dagger was our first coach, and then my father took over from him the following year. But I remember Henry Dagger saying, Ian Sadie and Glenn, you've got the job on Kel Bruton. He was the fastest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I still yep. remember, you know how you, you talk about memories, you remember certain things. I remember that game and I was on Kel Bruton. I was playing in full court and he came down, he did the shake and bake and he'd done about five 
five fakes and I was still in the same spot. And he comes <laughs> charging through me and knocked me into the crowd. In those days, the crowd could actually pick you up because they were almost, you know, Ben, they were almost on the court. On the and crowd, yeah, yeah. Said, great defence, great defence. So I was saying, great day. he went straight into me. I was still standing <laughs> in the same spot from the first fake. It was so quick. And um, then I remember another one when James Crawford and I were on a fast break and he was just going for his eighth dunk. And I thought, I'm either going to steal the ball off him or... He's going to dunk it on his own, but I'm not getting posterised. And I was just lucky enough that he was a big guy. And I was, you know, got it. I sort of got the ball off him. But if I hadn't, he was just going okay. to dunk. But you know, it was just there. But now, getting back to what you say about Dad, my father, all as he ever wanted to see was basketball. Um, sort of develop in West Australia. West Australia were known as. A bit like what Victorian footballers are like. You know, West Australia, we're isolated over here, which is quite good for COVID. You know, being yeah. isolated now, everyone wants to be in WA. But my dad, all he ever wanted to do was see basketball hit WA. And you ask that, Chris, you ask that, Ben. My biggest one, the, the, a disappointment and an excitement was the year we made the grand final, 1987, we won the pre-season Swept Classic, it was. We won that grand final, so it was the first time we'd ever been in the grand final. It was a pre-season, but we still won it. And then I remember um, that that was the year my father, we played an exhibition match in Mandra, and my father was at that game, and we played um, in-house in scrimmage versus each other. It was an exhibition match. That's when we had the James Crawfords and, you know, Kel Brutons, Alan Blacks, you know, they, we just recruited really a Trevor time. We had a, we had a superstar team. And I remember Dad seeing that game and I remember asking him, how do you think I went, Dad? And that was my last probably real proper comment. He, he died that next day. And the no. disappointing thing for an electronic to get too emotional, but we had, a, he, all he wanted to see was the Wildcats do well. And that year, we made the grand final. We beat Adelaide 36ers in Adelaide, best of three. James Crawford hit the winning jump shot after travelling, and they didn't call it. And we beat the L Greens, the Leroy Loggins, the, you know, Peter Ally, um, Phil Smythe, all those guys. It was the best game. And we made the grand final. I remember getting on the plane, and Alan Black, sorry, sorry, Kel Bruton said, I made a few calls. We're going to have a few people at the airport. We got to the airport. Oh my goodness, it was ridiculous. It was like yeah. in the airport, out in the car park. It was like, and it was then that Mike and I turned around and said, "Basketball has finally hit WA." <laughs> and all we could yeah. do was be excited, but disappointed that Dad wasn't there. But Kel Bruton, um, he gave us the armbands, he put it on our uniform, and he dedicated the season to my father and the NBA, the MVP award to Gordon Ellis, which is still Absolutely. going 33 years later. Yeah. And I really thank Kel Bruton for that because my dad was just wanted to see basketball hit WA, and unfortunately, the year it happened was when we lost him. So mixed yeah. emotions, I guess, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess 10 championships later now, I guess he'd be pretty happy with what the Wildcats have become. Well, the best franchise in the world in sporting mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. That's good old little WA, eh? <laughs> As I always say, yeah, good old WA doing all right. So, 
Yes, and look, those early days when you're playing, and I said to Chris off the, off when we were talking about this, I said that your memories of Cal Bruton are sort of my memories of of you when you played, and I always sort of thought, and I said to to Chris that Mike was the setup man, he was the 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 passer, he could organise things, he he would hit that open three. But Glenn was the guy that I remember the ball would go behind your back, through between your legs, behind your head, and you're either 360 doing a layup or you're, you're throwing a pass to somebody. Now, we're, and in those days when we weren't watching basketball and we didn't have YouTube and all that, where, where did that flair that you had for the go? I remember you're behind the back passes out of the post, like things like that that people weren't doing, but you were doing it. Like, where, where were you getting those, those inspirations from? Yeah, I guess. A bit like I'm seeing my son now. He's he's definitely he's different. He's climbing up trees. He's jumping up the stadium. He's climbing up the basket. I was pretty much <laughs> like that, just full of energy. And they probably put it as OCD. What do you call it? ADHD these days. I don't know. We never had anything worked out those days. But now they've got names for everything. I don't know. I, I was full of energy, and I I guess I just like to try different things. And in, as a coach. You, you could really like the fact that I could do those things, but then as, an, as a coach, some coaches were like, oh, I'm not sure if that doesn't come off. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Those, that's probably where I got the name, like, Sparkflow, because whether it be good or whether it be bad, something would happen, you know? <laughs> but, um, you know I, I guess it was playing against my brothers growing up. It, I started all those people playing today, the one-on-one against very good players can only increase your development as a player and you know we used to my brothers I love my brothers they're my best friends and you know we played against each other in the backyard down the court for hours and hours and you try those things I guess Ben and I was probably courageous enough to try them in a game and if yep. it come off then I'd try it again you know but I guess yeah. I was lucky enough to have coaches and that's probably how I coach if you ever go at something and you muck it up, so be it. As long as you don't drop your head, you get back and do your recover. So yep. I was lucky enough to have those coaches that allowed me to try those things. And, you know, a lot of coaches in today say, you're going to turn over, you get dragged, you make a mistake, you get dragged. And people are probably too frightened to try different things. But when I coach, I'm just like, well, you know you missed a layup. I don't have to tell you off for that. Just get back and do and, and make up for it. And then, I guess I was fortunate enough, Ben and Chris, to have those coaches that allowed me to try those certain things and gave me, I guess, the confidence to continue to do them. And uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, Mike was, he was definitely just a structured player that wasn't trying all the fancy things, but I guess that's because I was doing <laughs> And whether it came <laughs> off or not, I was, have, I was having fun, you know? <laughs> that's the best part. That's the best part. Thank you for recognising that. Nah, you're welcome. You talked about as a coach as well, and the players that I've spoken to that you've coached always talk about that, that you just gave them such confidence. They they enjoyed playing under you because you would give them the belief to go out there and to believe in themselves and because they knew that you had, had their back. Amber Land is probably the best example because she just really loved playing under, under you in those years at Sterling. But going right back, you've had an amazing journey as a, as a coach. It started while you were still playing. You started coaching the women's team at, at at the Mustangs, and right up until you know those more recent stints at the Senators with the women's team. What got you into coaching the women's teams, and why were you able to to do so well? Well, 
I, I think there's a, a lady by the name of Barb Bygraves, and and uh, one day I was I was I was just twenty odd or something, and I was playing and enjoying basketball. You know the usual, you know, Ben. You like, you know as well as anyone. There's so many teams we don't have a coach. Can you help out? Yep. And so that was pretty much how it started. And she said, "Oh, look, how about you coach um, coach a wobble team or whatever?" And and um, uh, and just see how you go. Well, I actually started coaching, and I really enjoyed it. Whereas Michael, he never coached anything until he completely finished his career. Mm-hmm. But I actually probably enjoyed coaching almost as much as playing. And I guess it's probably why I, I sort of, over the years, have coached the way I have because I was still playing. And I probably coached how I play. And like I said, you know, if you make a mistake, no problem, give it a go. Because I'm a big believer in, this is my theory, if you're too frightened to try and do something, okay, because you're frightened you're going to get yelled at or you're going to muck up and look silly, you're never going to know how good you could possibly be. And that's like, I would always try things and I'd know if it worked, if it didn't, I'd try something else. And I try to portray that as as a coach. Like, okay, You've done a reverse layup. You've come underneath defense itself. You've done a reverse layup. So what I'll say is, okay, great effort. Just turn the body back to the basket. Flick your wrist. Turn your wrist, and you'll make that. But try it again. And I guess people think, oh, hang on a minute, I didn't get yelled at for that. And that's how they become better players. And I guess coaching through years, I've had good teams, and I've been able to play and then sort of say, right, this is what I've tried, why don't you give it a go? And and people like that. And again, as long as you're playing hard, you're giving it your best, and if you muck up, so be it. At least you're having fun and, you, and you're giving it a try. I'd rather that than not try something because you're frightened you're going to muck it up and not get dragged every time you make a mistake. And I guess people like that. And I've had people say to me, um, you don't just say, that was a bad pass. You'll say, well, try this, this mm-hmm. is the footwork, this is the fake, this is the angle, take your dribble, create a better angle, and it gives them that option rather than just say, don't do that again or you get taken off. You know what I mean? And, yeah. mm-hmm. and people like, I think they like that theory of, well, okay, that mucked up, but this is the way you actually do it. And um, I, I guess that's probably, I've been lucky to have good coaches myself that have done that for me, and Warren Keane is just, he's still coaching today at 74 mm-hmm. years of age, and I know a lot of people are not sure about him, but his knowledge is just incredible. You know, very huge, yeah, very large. Yeah, yeah he, he has got funny methods, hasn't he, Ben? But if you stop and listen to him, he's worldwide for his coaching. He's toured the world, and he knows a lot about the game. You know? Yeah, and that's it. And everyone, everyone does it. Has a little bit of different, uh, a different aspect, and it's always um, can you pick up something? And then, as you said just then. You've got to have the the courage to go and try it. It's one thing to to listen and and look at it, but that courage to go out and try it without that fear of failure and creating those environments where players can have that growth mindset. Uh, is, I think is what we call it, where you, you go and you that fear of failure isn't there. You're you're not holding yourself back, so you can improve because when you learn, you would have learned on when you're playing. Every time you dribbled off your foot or you hit your back as you went around behind your back, then that mistake taught you how to do it right the next time. 
So that's what it is. It's that, yeah. that fear, not have not fearing failure, but using your mistake as a starting point to to move on to the next part. And that's how you must approach Ben. Because look, mate, your success, and I know you know. Look at you. How you must hold the record for the amount of. I mean, between you and Bumbling in the nineties, how many times have you made that grand final? You've won. You've won a world championship gold medal in wheelchair. My father, the year he died. He was going to coach the. He got asked to coach wheelchairs because no one else had put their hand up, and he said yes. And now I look oh, at wow. you, and I think, and I think we've actually got something in common here, buddy, because you've gone to a gold medal because you've put taken your hat off and you said, yeah, I'll give that a go. And mate, you should be patting yourself on the back for what you've done for basketball, not only in West Australia, worldwide. To get a gold medal, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's what my dad wanted to do. He wanted to coach. Well, he got asked to, but he was going to do it. So, yeah, yeah. And I admire what you've done yourself. And I've seen you as a player, and, and you really could play the game, but you put a lot more into your coaching because you're still so young. And, uh, and yeah. you've done a great job, really great job. No, I appreciate that. And as I've said before on this, it was exactly what you said. It was uh, just jump in and give it a go and, and see how you go and, and learn from your mistakes. Um and just be genuine in that. When you do make a mistake, I'm the first one to put my hand up and say, "You know what? I got that wrong. How do we? Yep. How do we move on to the next point and get that feedback from the players and that?" So, yeah, we're very fortunate to have some some very good teams as well along the way. Um, but yeah, I think just that yeah, not having that fear of failure, um, you know, that's that that's a, a a big important thing for for me as well. Yeah, well, my my son's first game. He got the ball and took four steps. He'd never played. He got chucked in the deep end. He was playing with my brother's son, Presley. And, and, and it was really funny, Ben, because I and Chris, and he goes, he took three or four steps because he didn't really know anything about the game. He travelled. He never did it again. Mm-hmm. And because I said to him, how come you didn't, you, you know, um, you don't travel anymore? Because the first time he caught, he took three or four steps. He says, you know, he looked like you're playing rugby. And he looked at me and goes, well, Dad, that was mega embarrassing. I didn't want to do that again. It was, it was really funny to hear that reaction. Well, that was mega embarrassing, wasn't it? And, but, but going beyond that, some people say, well, that's so embarrassing, I'm not going to even, like, say someone oh, dribbles and gets stolen. Then they won't dribble anymore. So they'll never yep. get better at that. And, and which is what you're saying, the fear of getting embarrassed holds you back from being the best you can be. Mm. You yeah. Know? No. Yeah. Hundred percent right. Now, Glenn, I hope your kids to... will follow your footsteps. <laughs> now, Glenn, wanted to get yeah, your no, thoughts sorry, on. No, that, that's right. Um, as we talked about before, we've started this tournament, or we're now at the end of this tournament, where we pitted all the last thirty-two championship winners all against each other, are down to the final two, and your Swan City Mustangs that you won a championship with in nineteen ninety-one is in this championship game. Um, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing, and we've talked a lot about this team and about how stacked with talent, with talent you were, and you had quite a few Americans on that team. It would have been a hell of a team to play on. What are your memories of that championship-winning season? Uh, that that was a long season. We, you know, Ben would know as well as anyone. Norm Majors put that team together. He, he was known to buy a, cha- you know, the old I want to buy a championship. He put this team together. Oh my goodness! Our starting five was um, Patrick Langlois, Mark McCatherine, 
Roland Brooks, James Jackson, and myself. Yep. And I was like, wow. I mean, that... And then we had another import, Jeff Spalding. So, Mm -hmm. realistically, if we didn't win with five Americans, then there's something wrong. (laughs) I mean, you know what? And and these are good Americans that play in other teams that Norm recruited, which weakened their teams. But you know what? People used to say... Um, how many balls have you got in that team? And uh, and it was, but look, our trainings, oh, three hours. So we used to have three hours of a long practice. And, and I don't know how much you know about ex-players, Chris, but they all know James Jackson. He was one of the biggest players, a huge guy. Yes. And yep. if you ran through him, <laughs> you'd know about it. And... Uh, and we used to go bang on it. We used to go hard every train through us. We used to train really, really hard. But every training would be a highlight. Every game would be a highlight. And it's just like yeah. stuff you've never seen before. But we're talking just athletes, talent, incredible players to be around. I mean, my assists were so easy. I could pass any one of those. and know I was going to get assist. And, you know, if, if I had a shot, I wouldn't worry about missing because I know we'd get a rebound if I miss because we're just, <laughs> you know, it, it, to, lose, to lose with that team would be a failure. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was it was really, but you know, I guess it was different than I've all my years at SPL. I played with my brothers, my dad coached, and and it was a passion that you played with your brothers. We loved each other, but we still really competed on the court. But now you're playing with four Americans. They're just. I guess their upbringing is just totally different. They've come from America. They've come from the college system. They've, you know, they've just had so much different competitors. It's just they're a lot more hard nut. You know, it's hard to explain, but they've had a harder upbringing and a firm upbringing. Whereas we're brought up loving each other as a family and you know eating meals together and and we do anything for each other and a passion together and look out for each other. As these Americans, they were sort of brought up, look after yourself because, you know, you have to. It's mm-hmm. a tough world. So if something went wrong, you'd know about it. And uh, we did have a couple of instant incidents at training where, you know, you give a, I won't mention players, but you give a player a ball 10 times in a row and then all of a sudden someone's open on the other side and you give it to him he's going, hang on a minute, I was open. I said, yeah, but so was he. So, mm-hmm. you know, we did have moments where, hang on a minute, the ball's got to be shared. you know what I mean? So yep. when you've got a team of players that want that last shot, it's, it's, it's managing, not so much egos, managing different personalities sure. to get the best of that talent to all play together. If that helps make sense to you guys, yeah, I'm absolutely. sure it does. Um, so, yeah, we had some, some, some testing times at training, but when we were on the court, everyone had each other's back. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter who scored, we, we had each other's back. But uh, for that grand final that we played, we were six points down with one minute to go. I remember it vividly. And we had a timeout. Norm Majors put his hands in his face, his head in his lap, and he shook his head and he was almost in tears like, how can I not win with this team? Mm-hmm. And I remember... Roland Brooks wasn't known for his three-point shooting. It was it was like a James Crawford, the same type of athlete. Yes, just, yeah. You could, 
you, you remember, like, just sensational, one of the best athletes you've ever seen. Well, he's come down and he shot a three-point shot. And we were like, oh, rolling. And it went down. So now we're three down. We went back down. We got a stop. James Jackson, six-foot-five point guard, the biggest shoulders you've ever seen. He's <laughs> dribbling the ball up the court. In, it seemed like slow motion. And he's getting guarded down, and they're playing D on him. We're three down, and they're waiting for the drive, and he pulls up two steps over the halfway line and says, well, we're three down. I'm going to let this go. Swish. Yep. The time. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that game, but it was like, why wouldn't you let him take the layup, you know? <laughs> yep. I was sitting, so it was that challenge, and I was sitting at the basket yes, end up was. in the grandstand, behind, directly behind it, and he was dead on behind. And yep, like you thought, you almost thought, what is he doing? And he's just again, James. James still from that far back, he still looked like the biggest guy on the court. And he's just his follow through was just it was never going to miss. You just knew it was never uh, going to miss. Yeah, yeah, it was just brilliant. Yeah, so I do remember that game. Oh God, what were you, Ben? Were you about five? <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> late, late teenagers. Yeah, no, oh, it's, um, yeah, just unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, and I bumped into Alan Black the other day, and uh, I just, I wasn't right, like saying anything, I was just talking to some people with Alan, and I mentioned that game, he goes, oh, they said, oh, who won? And Alan goes, who do you think, why would he bring it up? I went, that's what I was, I wasn't trying, because Alan Black was player coach, and First, like, slam they had the game in the bag, and everyone was bagged for Bunbury, because we had this stack side, and, you know, and oh my goodness, that was just like ridiculous game, but yeah. Yeah, so they're the sort of things, Chris, that mm. you remember. You know what yeah. I mean? Like what you asked earlier, they're the things you remember like, wow. Um, and I sort of just run as a coach before that game and then uh, had to race on to play. But you did ask a question earlier. I was very lucky to have a, a sort of a manager, like a physio that would get me ready. And, and Norm Majors was very good at that. Okay. He'd, he'd sort of have the warm-up and then they'd take me onto another court and the physio would sort of get me, sort of rub me down, stretch me, give me some sort of warm-up on my own. So mm-hmm. I'd have to go from coaching and then already the game had started and I'd have to race in and then get my head wow. my mindset into the so, now I'm playing. So you won two championships on that night. Had you had you won the grand final before? The uh, game? Yes, we did. Uh, yeah, we did, but we had a pretty loaded side. But we, we did win that, that game before, but I can tell you, Ben, I don't, you know, like, they're trying to give me beer and all that, and I don't drink that sort of stuff. And Gary Test kept saying, have a banana. I had the worst migraine headache you could ever imagine. <laughs> so I didn't get to really enjoy it because by the time the men's had finished, it was just so much enthusiasm, so much yelling, so much excitement. And yeah. The overtime. Mate, I reckon I've still got a headache and a feeling from that day. It was a huge <laughs> night. I wish I could have enjoyed it more when it finished. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be some type of SBL record for uh, the championship winning coach of the women's SBL to then back up and play point guard for the, the winners of the men's SBL. That's, uh, uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's people that know that, but I've never yeah. heard that story before. That's unbelievable. Uh, that's no, unbelievable. And I didn't realise the success you had at the Mustangs as as coach, Glenn. Just quickly, obviously you won that 91 championship, you beat the Redbacks, and then you lost the grand final the next year. 
then you won it, won the championship again in 1993. This is unbelievable. You won that game 109 to 51 over the the Sterling what? Senators, and then again you made the grand final in 1995. You lost to the Wanneroo Wolves, and then you won a championship again. In 1996, beating the beating Willerton in the grand final. I mean, not only were you named coach of the year, you were winning championships left and centre. Yeah, well, we did. I mean, that's probably why Mustangs are no longer, mate. They put too much money to the players. <laughs> we did have some pretty good sides, I can tell you, but that's probably why there's no Mustangs. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on here? Yeah, I think there was no there was no salary cap. I don't think. No. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the year before I coached at Mustangs, they were wooden spooners, and um, yeah, we recruited pretty well. But I mean, we had. We had some pretty... I mean, Tully Bevelacqua, she ended up going on to yes. WNBA. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, how incredible... I mean, and she's a Willetton girl. But, yeah. I mean, what a success. WNBA, and I think she then... Does she coach in the WNBA or... Oh, she, I mean... I think she's still... I think she's involved. She's commentating. I think she commentates the game yeah. at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's incredible, isn't it? Like, good old WA... To produce a WNBA player, and yeah. you know we had a we had a we had a good side. We had you know Megan Darby and Katie Watts and Cheryl Kickett, Mariana Vlaff, Kirsten Perrin, you know people like that. You know just a really good side. You know, and um, we were, I think we were pretty successful, but they they wanted to win as well, and they they yeah. just clicked as a team. You know, <clears throat> and uh, we recruited Megan Darby from from Mandra, um, Katie Watts had just come over from South Australia, uh, Mariana Love and Kirsten Perrin were locals, uh, and, um, and then we got Tully Bevelacqua, we had Cheryl Kickett, and, you know, I mean, Cheryl Kickett really enjoyed it because she went from the wooden spooner, mm. and then they won a championship. Uh, it was, well, we did have a very, very good side, and then we uh, had Brooke, Brooke Ryan, who ended up coaching at Mandra. Yep. You'd probably know Brooke Ryan. Um, yeah. Yes. So yes. yeah, we, we we did we did have a good side, but see, Swans then used to pack the crowd out. You know, they would flood the. There was standing room. They were upstairs, though, and the atmosphere was just incredible for an SBL game. Yeah. No, it was phenomenal yeah. out there. Incredible, incredible yeah. atmosphere. You know, really incredible atmosphere. So, um, and then yeah, that is like home court advantage, you know. I don't think we lost a game at home pretty much. Mm. But, uh, you know, it just, it just I, I guess when you get a crowd like that, and you'd know as a player, Ben, that it just lifts you all that. I mean, that ball you think you're never going to get to, you just manage to get to it with that. Yep. And just seems to go that next level of energy because you've got that crowd just really behind you. And, uh, no, I understand. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, see that sure. in SPL as much anymore, but like I guess Swan Stadium is a pretty small stadium, so when you get 2,000 people, it's packed, you know what I mean? And, yeah, um, yeah. Now the stadiums are so There wasn't as many, uh, wasn't as many restrictions around in like, yeah, the stadiums. It's nice. That, like, Warwick Stadium is beautiful, and Joondalup Stadium is nice, and the new Wilton Stadium, but the crowd's not on top of you like it was at Mustangs. Yeah, Mustangs... Yeah, Mustangs had the, the, the crowd all the way around. You know those sorts of yeah. things where, you know, and you were really close to the court, and you weren't as as, as far back, and all those sorts of things. So it did make it that colder, and it, 
Yeah. Like Perry Lake, exactly. the first, I, I used to say, you, you could hear all your mates, you could hear your family, you could hear yep. every comment in the crowd, you'd know who said mm-hmm. that, who yelled that out. You knew, you, <laughs> not, not not anymore. I mean, like I said, you'd like, you'd go up to someone after the game, and they'd come up to you after the game and say, yeah, I heard you yell out, shoot the ball, and you know, I heard you yell out this, that, the other. You can actually, you know, you could hear them in the crowd. But having said that, you could also hear the negative comments. I remember <laughs> Michael, my brother, was uh, was playing a game. And look, he wasn't playing horrible, but it wasn't his greatest game. And he got engaged the week before. And he's, we're walking into Parallax, and the crowd is just so close. And you're walking into the change rooms and stuff. Some guy stands up, and we know it was. I won't say I was. stood up and goes, Geez, Mike, I'm glad you don't get engaged every week. If you play like that, and oh my goodness, I was like, oh, ouch, home crowd can be really hurtful at times. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you can just hear everything, but also yeah. you can hear all the positives as well and mm. that, that lift that you get. So, yeah, it's different mm. now, but. There's more people probably going, but as as you said, Ben, it's a lot more open. So yeah, yeah, a bit further away. A bit different. Um, before yeah. before we before we wrap up, Glenn, it's been been great fun chatting with you, and we 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 will have to do it again because we've got so much more we could could cover. But going back to your championship team, as I said, you're up against the 1990 Redbacks in this grand final game. We've already had Andrew Vlahov on our show to make the case for his Redbacks. Can you make a case why your your Mustang should 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 win this tournament? Well, I guess that you look at an Andrew Vlahov, the strongest guy I have ever played on. Mm. Absolutely man-made giant, but then you look at a matchup, then you could say, "All right, well, James Jackson is a he's a pretty strong unit too, yep. so he could match up on him." And then you get a CJ Jackson, or you could probably match up a, Mark, a Roland Brooks on him, and uh, then you look at a, a, a Luke Longley, who obviously has the height advantage and the experience, but. You could probably get a Mark McCatherine who'd give away a bit of height, but he doesn't back away as far Mm -hmm. as uh, he'll probably play very physical. And Luke would have the height and strength over him, but I don't know that he would love that physicality. And we had lots of players, so they'd probably give up a couple of fouls. (laughs) And then you've got the the Tharps and the and the um, the Craig. What's it, Craig Evans? Evans, yeah. You know, then you've got your Patrick Langmans and. I don't want to mention myself or that to match up, but I guess the theory I'd have is they would have more to match up on than what we would have. If they would have the core yes, of I understand. incredible yep. players, but we would have that maybe one or two extra really talented players to say, wow, how are we going to stop him? If we've got to stop this one, that one, this one, how are we going to stop him as well? So I guess that's my only advantage I think we have is we have more to match up on. They've got mm-hmm. probably your Andrew Love and your Luke Longley's who are just superstars, NBA championships, play with Michael Jordan. But then they've got to match up on more of our great players. So that's my... And we're probably... Yep. They're probably bigger and stronger. We're probably more athletic, I guess, yeah. and like mm. to run. So, yeah, yep. so yeah it would... If they slowed the game down into a in, into a Luke Longley Andrew Blaff game, we'd struggle. But if we get into an open court, they might struggle to defend our athletes. 
Yeah. Very good. I like that. Absolutely. Yep. I think oh, that's why I love this that is answer. such a good matchup. Yeah. My lad's asked what Andrew loves. Uh, 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 is he allowed, am I allowed to speak about what his theory is? Because obviously he's got the Redbacks as a win. And I'll get yeah. that. So am I allowed to ask his theory? Well, he, he just he just simply found there was no contest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, all right. That sounds uh, like an Andrew laugh. You know? I mean, <laughs> hey, that's why he was so good. He backed himself. He backed, well, he backed yeah. himself. And that's why he was so successful. So, yeah, hey, sure. you've, got to, you've got to take that. Yeah. No, he did say that he... I'm not arguing. <laughs> He's, he kind of felt that um, he felt that Luke Luke at that level was, you know, and as you're saying, Luke wasn't your traditional plodding seven footer. He he could actually run up and down the floor. He thought Luke was a bit mobile, um, and then you know having CJ as that big guard. But then you you know you throw that. I would have even thrown Patrick Langway at CJ. I think Langway could defend yes. anyone from a one to a five yes. in this league. That's that he was my X factor for you guys all the way through. Like the no Patrick one really. Langlois? Yeah, like his versatility and yes. um, the things he yes. could do. He was a bit er- erratic in the way that he played, but it was yes. just that, just being a super athlete. So, um, well, my, 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 yeah, my question for you is if the Mustangs are winning it, is it is it Glenn Ellis spinning down the lane for a layup for the win or is it James Jackson pulling up from one step over halfway for the <laughs> win? Who, who decides I'd, the game? I'd like, I'd like to say it, it could be... Maybe me dragging the defence and kicking to one of our four options for a dunk. <laughs> Good answer. Like, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I ended the grand final. I remember driving just before half-time with Patrick Langlois. I knew he wanted it. Flicked it to him. Two-hand dunk. Head on the ring. We went on a high. But I'll tell you one thing, Ben. Um, this one, Chris, this, you know, we talk about things that stick in my mind. We were playing Wanneroo Wolves at Wanneroo, and I was playing Sterling with all my brothers. Patrick Langmar was our import, and we were running a full-court press, and um, I remember this like it was in the back of my head. Uh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, someone shot a foul shot. Patrick Langmar took off from the foul line elbow, jumped over the top of everyone. He tip-dumped it. His whole arm went down the ring, his elbow hung on the ring, his hand got stuck in the neck, he pulled it back out, and I remember our coach, actually, Mike was our coach at the time, he's yelling out, press, press, we didn't even know what press we are in, we were so busy going, oh, I five, that's the best thing we've ever seen, we just let Wondery go, I didn't care, because it was yep. awesome. Um, but getting back to what you said, Dan, I'd be happy with rolling for an up sheet of three because he's not frightened to take it. <laughs> so yeah, mm, we'll there take you go. It. But, uh, yeah, well, your matchups are pretty good, though, Ben. You've thought about it, I see. Yeah, and you, again, here in a, uh, your playing at, uh, brain in there, but then also you applied your coaching brain, Glenn, which I think is um, that's great. That's the kind of that was the whole point when I came up with this idea is I wanted people, I know it's hard to match teams up across generations, but I wanted people to go, you know what? I reckon that this guy, Mark McCatherine, 
yeah, he's not as big as Longley, but he's going to go at him with athleticism and he's going to fight. Like, he's going to give him that matchup because people that haven't seen it, they don't know. They're just looking at You can't just look at stats and, and go, yeah, that's how it's going to happen. So having those little inside knowledge bits is, um, has been great. I've loved those conversations all along the way. Yeah, and I think I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your input. It's been phenomenal and your experience is incredible. But even things like, You'd say, for example, Luke's got five cows to give. All right, let's just have four of our Americans try and dunk on him. And if he blocks one, so be it. But even if he got yeah. three fouls, just even That's three it. fouls, and we can have four different guys, even just try and get him in foul trouble because <laughs> he's so valuable. You don't want to use yes. his... Or if it, was one, if it was one of us, we'd have to think of something fancy because otherwise we're going to eat it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, but that would be the plan, I would say, because you're right. Luke could get up and down the court, and it's just oh, his, his uh, career is just, and he's so humble in what he's done. Mm. You know, yeah. and like you are, Ben, you're very humble, and you've got to respect people that are humble for the success they've had. And you and Luke are definitely very humble. Well, it's a, it's a nice way to wrap things up, I think, Glenn. And like I said, it's been fantastic to talk to you. We're, we're definitely going to have to do it again because there's so much more we could have talked about. But, yeah, I mean, and f- for now, um, we'll, we'll let you go. And thanks for joining us on SBL Shootaround. But hopefully you're still taking the microphone at Warwick Stadium this, this season. I'm going to head out there on Saturday night. So hopefully I'll be hearing hearing your tones again. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, they normally ask you what games I'd like to do and um, I sort of pick... You know, because you're not going to do it every week. You want to actually, I can't get to every game with the family sure. and stuff. And I like to sit down and watch sometimes. But I do like to um, bring people into it on the sideline. And if I saw you, Chris, I'd definitely give you a shout out, mate. Mm-hmm. You know, people like that, have a bit of a laugh and a joke. Yeah. But I did get in trouble one week because Brett uh, Campbell called one of the worst calls I've ever seen. <laughs> and the whole crowd knew it. Yeah. And I said, should have gone to Specsavers, and I got the best one. They were going to kick, Ben, I know you're loving this, Ben, but I got um, the cons to stop the game and sent someone over. Oh, to no. Said, Next comment, you're out of the stadium. <laughs> but I apologised to Brett Campbell's wife after the game and said, I'm so sorry. I got caught up in the moment. And she goes, what are you sorry for? He thought it was funny. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Excellent. But yeah, a bit of humour doesn't go too badly, I suppose. No, I've got, no of course not. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Okay, back here on SBL Shootaround, and now that we've had the case made for the Redbacks by Andrew Vlahov, the case for the Mustangs made by Glenn Ellis, it's time to make our decision on our ultimate SBL championship winning team after our NCAA tournament. So Mark Utley has joined us once again. Before we get to this championship matchup, Mark, are you pretty happy with the final two teams that we've got with this Redbacks from 1990 team and the Mustangs from 1991? Two, two fantastic teams. Yeah, I'm really happy that those two made it through. I actually picked those two right at the start, but then mm. you know, when I crunched the numbers, there were two other teams as well. As I said, these two teams were, were great teams loaded with talent. 
if, if you're going to be swayed one way or another, would Andrew Vlahov or Glenn Ellis be more likely to, to have, have an influence over your decision? Growing up with Glenn, he had a lot of influences over a lot of my decisions. He, he, did, he did speak very highly of you. Yeah, yeah. He was, real, he was basically a mentor for me as a young kid. Yeah. After he got on court and uh, we had some problems with uh, imports early and you know, they, they weren't sort of uh, at times hard to, they were hard to deal with. And Glenn actually mm. protected the young guys on a number of occasions and yeah. um, he was a real leader of that team. So... I really appreciated what everything he did for me early on in the piece. Uh, Andrew Glahov, though, I still, in all of my time, say he was the most dominant figure that has played in the SPL. He was yep. an absolute beast. Even when he went to the Wildcats, he did everything to the Wildcats that last year of SPL. He was a jump-shooting, three-point shooter. He was strong. He was dominant. He, he finished at Stanford, and he was, like, outstanding. I, I went into sitting on the bench for a grand final and Ben will know me well and other people know me well. I actually have a belief you can win any game that you're playing in and that would be the closest that I actually knew that we were going to win that grand final. <laughs> I just uh, yeah. I knew that that team was way too dominant. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable, his numbers. And like we spoke to Michael Farrell about, out of all the championship teams, he is the player who's had the most efficient and most productive season out of everybody. And that's out of 32 teams, so it's it's pretty remarkable. But between the three of us now, it's our responsibility to determine the ultimate SBL championship winning team. The three of us are going to cast our votes, and that's how we're going to pick it. I don't know how we want to do it, but not going to be easy. Chris? Yep. Before we go on, though, I've got a bone to pick with Ben. Last week's show, he was comparing Tupac and Biggie. That's fairly obvious, (laughs) Tupac. And then he came out with the audacity to say Michael Jackson or Brit. And it's obviously Michael Jackson. Like, they were really bad examples to compare. They might as well compare Brad Pitt to Mark (laughs) Utley. Oh, Mark, I have no words. as I said, that's whenever you, you bring up those kinds of conversations, you, you're not going to please everybody all the time. I think there's a classic example of it right there. I, th- I think we're going to have that again this week with whatever we choose and however we analyze, analyze it. These red bags and mustangs, like, we could actually toss a coin either way in my mind as well, and I'm sure Ben's the same and our, our listeners would be the same also. Yeah, well, I was, I was very much yeah, heading, sorry, one, heading one way. Oh, sorry, I was, heading, I, was, I was heading one way, and then after listening to, to Andrew and Glenn, it kind of swung me. So I know I've had my heart set on one team, um, but I think, um, yeah, after hearing those, a little bit more inside information, which I'll, I'll talk with Mark and see what he thinks. Um, but, yeah, I, I've kind of, my, my, my inkling is wavering a little bit. Mm. I thought, I thought Char- Charlie's... Charlie's insights on our last show as well was was interesting as well with what he saw as the as the key points of both teams. He could make a case for both teams as well. Um, now you've got a formula that you've been working through for all of these matchups, Mark. Do you, without giving away the result just yet, do you want to go through how you have matched up these two teams? So basically, what I've done is for every position, point guard, shooting guard, small court, power court, center, uh, the bench, and the coach. I've actually looked at the matchups, and each team could be either plus or minus three. So mm-hmm. looking at those and analysing the numbers, I've actually come up with 
what results that I think. So that's how I basically worked it out. But I thought it wouldn't be fair just to go on my opinion. And it, it's actually shown throughout this tournament that you know some ones that people didn't pick that got up to win it in that formula when I looked at it. And it's an interesting one. I could actually say it's a tie. I said to myself I had to pick one or the other, which made it very interesting when you look at my last week's matchup of uh, Mike Haney and Andrew Blaho. Mm. I couldn't say that a young Mike Haney and, and Blaho had to go for Blaho in that situation. Well, I was going to say, would you like me to go through who I think yes, is the yes, grand final now? Or did... No, go ahead. Let's hear it. So looking at me, um, I've actually put... Uh, Generally, the Redbacks with Jimmy Tharp, who was a really underrated point guard, gets the plus in that one. Um, I actually looked at Andrew Longley, uh, sorry, Luke Longley and Andrew Blahoff both winning their positions. Um, James Jackson and Roland Brooks won theirs for the Mustangs. Uh, interestingly, the bench for the Mustangs won, and I actually um, looked at the coach, generally for the Mustangs doing it, but the three dominant positions I had uh, Perth Redbacks winning this grand final as the best team that's played in the SBL. Is it close? Very close. Like, yeah. like we're talking one, one point on my scale. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And well, uh, if you, if, well, I, I was sort of very, very similar to Mark. I just thought that you know, the, the Redbacks' size and, and having the, the best player in the grand final series being Andrew Blahoff um, would, would, would tip them over the scale and but then hearing Glenn talk about what their tactic would have been and Glenn put his coach hat on today and, and it really hit a chord with me that as much as the Redbacks uh, the Mustangs had to match up on the Redbacks which they could do and hold their own on the flip side Redbacks then had to try and match the athleticism and speed up and down the court and Glenn said it. He said they would have turned it into a track meet. It would have been Glenn Ellis pushing the ball up the floor, Langlois and, and James Jackson on the wings, Roland and McCaffrey, really putting that pressure on Luke Longley. And that was the one that one thing that he said. He said they would have gone out and all four Americans would have tried to dunk on Luke Longley at least 20 times. And all they had to do was him catch four fouls and next thing... The Mustangs have the ascension, and, and Mark McCaffrey, and even though at six foot eight he's not a small man, his his athleticism and his um, you know, inner determination, I think he would have been up for that fight. Um, and you know, it, when when Glenn sort of put it that way, and then thinking back to that grand final that um, they they beat the Slammers in, and it was as I said um, all the way along. You know, Roland Brooks was an amazing player, but James Jackson just refused to lose, and. I actually think that it would have been an extremely close one and if it had finished as the the 91 grand final did going into overtime, I think it would have been in the hand of James Jackson to win that game at the end and I I don't think that um, the Redbacks would have had someone that could have stayed in front of him. I think he would have been too big and strong for CJ, too fast for uh, for Vlahoff or who would have been the two guys they could have thrown at him. Um, and I'm very similar to Mark. I have it close, but I've got the Mustangs getting up on in this one in, a, in an upset. So you guys have left it to me to decide. This is this is incredible. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, welcome, welcome to my world, Chris. Well, welcome to my world. Talking about pressure. <laughs> talking about pressure. And uh, and what what is a really interesting thing is what Ben said there. 
go, we're never ever going to do it, but you could do your matchup on the grand final team that didn't actually win it. And that Slammers team that the Mustang actually beat with Steve Isle and James Fitch was one of my favourite teams of all time. Yeah. And, you know, they really took it to that Mustangs team. So probably the Redbacks team didn't have as much competition in their grand final and won quite easy, where that's, that Mustangs team were pushed by a very, very Calabamas team. Absolutely. I'm not sure this is what we had in mind when we covered this competition for me to decide the winner, but here we are. Um, now, as you said, Ben, you make a great point, and as Glenn did as well, if they were able to get Luke Longley in foul trouble, then I think it, it turns this this match in, in the favour of the, of the Mustangs just because of the amount of talent they've got. And I mean, you have a look at it, and, and, and Roland Brooks, you know, 22.5 points a game. Patrick Langlois, 22.8 points a game. Mark McCathrian, 21.5 points a game. If it's a high-scoring game, if it's going 100-plus points a game in this grand final, then the Mustangs just have too much firepower, especially if they could get either Longley or Vlahov into, into to foul trouble because the, the same sort of depth don't, isn't don't there think, on the Redbacks. Yeah, here, Chris, on the flip side, Redbacks mm-hmm. had two point guards. They had CJ yes. and um, yep. so they had two men on the floor who were very good at managing the clock. So I'm just going to throw that little bit mm-hmm. of spike in there as well. <laughs> yes, they would, yep. have, they would have been managing that clock all to the people they needed to get it to. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like I said, if it was going to be a high-scoring game, then it goes right in the favour of the Mustangs, especially if they could try to dunk it on, on Luke and get him in, in foul trouble. But... On the other side of that, exactly like you said, with CJ Jackson with the ball in his hands and, and same with James Tharp, the Redbacks can turn it into a half-court game, a little bit slower game. And, you know, when you've got Luke Longley and Andrew Vlahov, and if we're assuming they don't get into foul trouble, unfortunately for the Mustangs, I just can't pick against against that, that duo. I know that they've had some good help and, you know, Tharp and, and CJ are a great supporting cast and they, they had some other, other really really good help as well. You know, Ian Frame's a quality quality player. Craig Evans. Craig, Craig Evans as well, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's just the duo of Andrew Vlahov and Luke Longley. They were they had just played at the Olympics in 19, 1988 together. They were about to play at the Olympics in 1992 together. Andrew Vlahov was about to win a championship with the Perth Wildcats the next year. Luke Longley was, was heading to college and about to embark on his NBA career. And as long as I could stay on the court, Luke Longley in that season, 20.4 points a game, 13.4 rebounds, 4.2 block shots, and he was passing the ball, 4.2 assists. And then, as you said, Andrew Vlahov, the, the, the best player in all of these championship teams across the 32 that we've looked at, 35.2 points a game. 12.7 rebounds. To me, it's it's quite simple that Andrew Vlahov and Luke Longley win this for the Perth Redbacks. And that means, because of the, the way we voted, that the Perth Redbacks of 1990 are our greatest ever SBL championship team. Oh, and I can live with that. I'll sleep easy at night knowing that that was the decision that was made. Very, very talented team. And I think all the way along, we might have, you know, again, I know Mark and I had these had these had both these teams penciled in to go a long way. And I'm, I'm very happy that. Now, guys, just quickly as well, I had a little bit of a secret weapon up my sleeve in making my decision for this for this matchup, and it was thanks Brad French, very famous name out at Kalgoorlie, um, always been heavily involved with the Goldfields Giants, and and he he, in terms of servants to the SBL, you get very few better. So he's done a power of work in the recent months running a virtual SBL season. Um, you can find that at SBL Online. So 
We went to him and asked him if he could run a simulation of this Perth Redbacks Swan City Mustangs grand final matchup, and he did it for us. They went to three games remarkably, and in the end, it was a it was a two point victory in game three for the Perth Redbacks. So not only was this this my opinion on who I thought would win, it's been backed up by Brad French's simulation. So there we have it. And as a special treat for next week, Ben. Um, and Mark, tune in because we'll go through the full results and box scores of those three games that Brad French did for us, and it's going to be fantastic. I actually think that to do it justice, Luke Longley was in cruise mode when he played in that, and I actually think he would have had another year coming, even yeah. even the tougher team in the finals. He, uh, yeah. I think it was only six months, six months or a few months after that. He signed as number six in the NBA draft. He yeah. was he was outstanding, and he's he just finished the year that I think he was ranked the number one or two centre in the NCAA for New Mexico. So yeah. to put into perspective that sort of talent, if in all my coaching time I could recruit a guy with that credentials into mm. the SBL, like, people wouldn't believe that I was able to get him, and he came as an Australian. Um, yeah. And Blahov was very similar at Stanford as a captain. You get a leader, and I, I look for imports that provide leadership, and you've got one of the best leaders of all time sitting there playing as an Australian. So I'm very happy that they won. But as I said, you could put a case for those Mustangs too in a one-off grand final. I'll be having the SBL as well. And I yeah. can see Glenn's points exactly that there was a lot of firepower for them to guard. And I'd imagine at the time that the Redbacks probably would have sat in a massive zone against that that. Yeah, and look, I, I just want to put a challenge out there to, to anyone that's, that's been around the league for a while. I've searched high and low to try and find footage of these early games. Um, you know, probably until the SBL started to live stream them, they're, they're not really online. But I'd love to have have a copy if someone could um, either you know, get, get a, a DVD or a, a digital copy to me. I'd love to have these these 32 teams' uh, grand finals archive somewhere, whether it's on a YouTube or even if we were to put them up onto the SBL huddle so that yeah. people can actually access uh, these games and, and watch them because, um, again, these are the names that are our history and we don't want to leave that behind. And that's been the most enjoyable part for me over this last month is chatting to Charlie, chatting to Farrell, chatting to you know, my boyhood idol, uh, Andrew Bluffoff, speaking to Glenn, speaking to, to Mark on a weekly basis about these sorts of things, getting Jared Prue's insight. Uh, all these people that have been a part of it um, have just made this journey so good and I'd love for them to be able to sit down and watch those games if they if they wanted to. Um, it just adds another layer to, to what we're doing. So if any of the clubs out there that are listening that have copies or players have got copies of these games, Hit us up through our, our social media, and like I say, I, I'll drive all over the city to, um, <laughs> to to pick up a DVD or a thumb drive if, if that game's on it. You won't have to drive far, Ben. I could probably give you both those teams' game grand final games, but you'll have to find someone that can actually take them off VHS video. I have a means and a capability to do that, mate. Fantastic. Video tech from video tech from way back, so I can get that done. There we go. Yeah. We, all, all we had to do was ask your head coach, Ben. <laughs> Uh, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. You'll stick with me, Ben, now to wrap up the show. But, but Mark, th- this wouldn't have been the same without you. Thanks so much for all of your your hard work. Best of luck with the Calamundra Eastern Suns in the West Coast Classic. But, yeah, thanks thanks very much for being part of this NCAA tournament with us. Thanks, Chris. I really enjoyed it. Just remember, everyone, my Ben Entry's personality of the year.
<laughs> Thanks, Mark. Okay, back here on a massive episode of SBL Shootaround. We've now spoken to Andrew Vlahov, we've spoken to Glenn Ellis, and we have announced the winner of our NCAA tournament to crown, which which has now been crowned the ultimate SBL championship winning team. So this has been a big show, but it doesn't end here because all of a sudden, Friday night, the West Coast Classic will get underway, round one of the competition, really excited. And Friday night, it, it starts with five, five big fixtures and... And probably the biggest one is the first one we'll look at, Ben. The Joondalup Wolves, for the first time in a long time, without you as their coach. And and uh, I guess, as it turns out, the Perth Redbacks, for the first time, without Nick Lakovic as their coach as well. Um, two teams that I think we're expecting big things from. Who, who, do you, who, do you, who do you tip in this one? Massive matchup. Um, I'll even jump forward uh, 10 or so weeks to say this could be a potential grand final matchup again. Um, just given the, the the last couple of recruits we've heard at Wolves there, um, Redbacks are primed and, and ready to go. Um, look, I'm just going to give this one to to the Redbacks, uh, just given a probably a little bit more firepower. Marshall Nelson, Caleb White, um, two very, very good shooters. Mm. Um, Tevin Jackson there as well. So I'm, I'm picking the Redbacks in that one, but it'll yeah. be a close one. Yeah, I might go the Wolves with Lachlan Cummings and, and Lee Roberts on board um, and, and on their home court. They're always tough to beat up there, as, as you know. Um, next matchup, Wolves and Tigers, as we talked about before, the, the official grand opening of the redeveloped Wilton Basketball Stadium up against their old foes, the Lakeside Lightning. Uh, opening night. Under the big lights, uh, massive moment for the Willerton Basketball Association and uh, a long time coming. Really looking forward to getting there and, um, and having a look at that facility. Um, I'm going to pick the Tigers in this one and, and Damien Scott will set the, uh, set the scoring record uh, with, with a 50-point game to, mm-hmm. to, to break in the nets on, on the wow. new court one. Well, that'll, that'll be quite a sight. I might go Lakeside just because outside of Jared Prue, I think they've pretty much got got everybody up and going, so I'm expecting big things from, from Lakeside during the West Coast Classic. Now, I don't know if you'll get there for this game, Ben, but you've got plenty of interest in it. The East Perth Eagles and the Calamander Eastern Suns. Uh, look, I just think uh, it's going to be close, a lot closer than people think. Um, I just think uh, maybe a little bit of more experience for the uh, Calamunda boys having Mark as their second year and and uh, having worked closely with both squads. I just think maybe a little bit more organisation there for, for the Eastern Suns over the East Perth Eagles. But wishing uh, Luke Coburn all the best in his first game as, a, as an SBL head coach and Chris Clausen there as well, mm-hmm. another um, ex-Wolves boy that's jumped on as an assistant coach, uh, you know, Wishing those two all the all the best success because I think they're they're both great men and um, they're going to be be very good coaches in this league. Chris not playing. No, he's back. Um, he's he's back thrown out at the moment, so he's probably going to just yeah, use okay. use this to get it right and um and hopefully he's running around again next year. Yeah, very good. I might go. I might go for the Eastern Suns as well in that one. This one's very tough and. It's a tough trip on a Friday night for the Mandurah Magic to head down to the Eden Recreation Centre as well to play the Southwest Slammers. Mark Worthington, his first game in charge as head coach, and he's up against Aaron Trujillo and Ricky Grace on the other side as as the coaching staff. So the, there's plenty of fascination on the bench, but the game on court's a, a little bit tough, tough to predict. 
Yeah, look, it's going to be a hard one. Um, I'd actually wouldn't mind seeing a, a game of two on two where they win Fitch versus uh, Traher and, and Grace. That might be, um, oh, yeah. be be all right. But hey, look, as you said all along the way, what these two teams are doing is they've got some brilliant coaches there, lots of knowledge, people that are passionate about their teams, and the investment that they're making. Um, nothing is better than throwing your kids out. And, and saying go and play and then we can sit down and we can review and we can get better so it might not be a much of a match up um, you know in the middle of July in 2020 we've come through everything we have but I guarantee that there'll be four or five kids in these two games that when we're here in 2022 2023 that have played 40 50 games of SBL now and they are bona fide SBL players so we've all got to start somewhere uh, they're at ground zero they've got two great you know NBL legends um, as in Traher and Wertho as the as the the coaches, they got Fitch and they got Grace imparting that knowledge. It might not seem like much now, yeah. but they're definitely building for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And the last game of Friday night, Bendat Basketball Centre, the Prairie Lakes Hawks and the Warwick Senators is another another one that should be a game between two teams that we should expect big things from. Yeah, and a bit of a rivalry game. You know, those Prairie Lakes Senators um, yeah. have always sort of that, that proximity they have to each other lends to that and the sort of the flow of their junior players back and forward and, and all those sorts of things. So, um, guarantee Paso's got the, the Hawks boys raring to go. Um, and I know having sort of stuck my head around the corner a couple of times in the last few weeks at, uh, at Warwick there, Mike and Mike and the lads are, are up and about as well. So, uh, another potential um, could be there the last week of uh, of September um, in this one, and um, wouldn't be surprised if this one goes down to the wire as well. Cody Ellis fading away hmm. uh, in the corner for the win for me. <laughs> Very nice. What colour is his hair hair right now? Do you notice? Uh, I think it's unicorn, ro- rainbow coloured. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, five more games on Saturday as well. First up, Mandarin Magic hosting the Perth Redbacks. Uh, Redbacks. Yeah, I think so. Now, these two teams making their only appearance of the weekend. Down in Rockingham at Mike Barnett. Um, Mike Barnett, I think it's they've done some work down there as well, so I think they've added, added some extra seating on the other side of the court. Um, so the Rockingham Flames up against the Coburn Cougars. Homecoming for... Um for, for Luke Travers, uh, familiar surroundings, yeah. um, great matchup for him, excellent running mate in, in Gav Field. I'm going to go to the Cougars in this one. Um, Gav Field will be the ever consistent, um, but I've got a feeling we're going to see something special from Luke Travers. So, uh, yeah, Cougars in this one for me. Mm, I'm going to go Rockingham on their, their home floor. Calamander Eats and Suns backing up and playing on Friday. First home game of the season added Ray, Ray Owen. And based on the turnout for the Legends game, you'd expect a big crowd there on Saturday night, Ben, up against the, the Williston Tigers. Yeah, and I think for us, it'll be uh, the emotional letdown for the Tigers, having that quick turnaround after such a big night. Um, they'll, yep. they'll struggle. They, that, that drive up the hill, the calves start to tighten up, the back tightens up. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm starting to, starting to feel it myself as I'm talking about it. But, um, yeah, at home for us, first one, um, the boys will be fired up. Mark will be fired up. Um, so I'll, I'll pick us in, in that one. Okay, next up at, at Warwick Stadium, Warwick Senators hosting the Goldfields Giants. Uh, again, I think um, you know Goldfields. We spoke to Creaky there. Yeah, they've been going well. He's he's got big big hopes for the season. Um, I just think maybe that that um, you know that, that Senators team, having kept the majority of their starting five together, 
uh, will just be a bit too much um, for the Giants in this one. Yeah, I might say the Senators too, just with the Giants on their, their first hit out. Then Lakeside Lightning hosting... Uh, do we call them the reigning champs, given it's a different competition? I'm not sure, but either way, they're taking on the Geraldton Buccaneers. Champs are champs, mate, and they're the ones that uh, get to hang the banner. So yeah. um, I'm super excited to see see Liam um, get out there, I think, um, without Prue. Um, With his brother, too. And, yeah. and then the other one is is, um, is Jesse as well. I think he will go out and um, yeah. and, and show this league uh, another level. He is, he is at that next level. Um, you know, what, what they lack in the guards... Um, I think with you know, Braden Inger and, and, and Ralphie um, with those two and, and Matt Wonders running around, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to get it done. I just think too big and too strong. And, um, yeah, the, the, the Hunt boys out there will, will have their way with, with Lakeside. Yeah, yeah. Plenty to look forward to with the Hunt boys playing together. That'll be fantastic. And I might just go Lakeside, though, for, the, for this one. Then two more games on Sunday. East Perth Eagles back at home again, and they'll be playing playing host to the Bucks. Yeah, again, same reasons that the Bucks were going to beat uh, Lakeside. I've got the Bucks over East Perth on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, I've got the Bucks too. And then this one will be a beauty: Perry Lakes Hawks against the Goldfields Giants, also on Sunday. Yeah, I think Perry Lakes will benefit from um, having played on Friday night and getting that Saturday off. Um, Goldfield Giants, and, you know, it's always tough uh, for them, as they, as Charlie said. You know, they, they never use it as an excuse. Um, but I think yeah, Perry Lakes will, will get this one. There we go. When we started this show 10 episodes ago, it was a it was a dream that we would still have basketball to preview like this in 2020, but but here it is. It's pretty exciting to have have some real life basketball action now to, to be looking forward to. And as we said, um, you know, we had 250 people come to a scratch match last week. People will get out in droves this mm-hmm. weekend and support. Great to see Willerton opening a new facility. The more facilities we get like that, it just brings people into our game. Um, we've got some really good matchups throughout the way, as we said, the Junilup Wolves game, the Perry Lake Senators game, um, you know, that Lakeside Jolton game. That'll that'll be a cracker as well. So mm-hmm. some really good games across the weekend. Um, different places and different faces and all those sorts of things but essentially that's what the SBL has been for over 30 years that happens uh, but yeah when we get to, to Friday at 8.30 and, and the ball goes up um, really looking forward to it Yeah absolutely me too and the fact that they're so spread out I'll be getting to like I said Willard's on the Friday night probably Warwick on the Saturday night and then and then out to Mirabooker on the on the on the Sunday to spread out the teams that I'm seeing. So massive weekend ahead, and and what a show this has been, Ben. This has been probably my favourite of our of our ten episodes of SBL Shoot Around so far. To to have Andrew Vlahov on as a guest, to have Glenn Ellis, to announce our winner of our NCAA tournament, and to crown the ultimate SBL Championship team, and to also have. Round one of the West Coast Classic to preview. It's been been a hell of a show. And I'll sign off. I'm Chris Pike and and leave you with the final words of Ben Etridge. Really, really appreciative of uh, of Andrew and Glenn giving up their time today to, to talk to us about the game we love and hearing their stories is, is just amazing. These are the two guys that I watched um, growing up and um, as I said, you know, Andrew at the Olympics and and then watching Glenn run around with the Wildcats as well. Um, big thanks to Mark for being a part of this journey with the NCAA tournament. His insights and his knowledge of the league um, are, are just phenomenal and and a big shout out to Chris, as you said, um, a man that wears many hats and, and doing lots and lots of things in WA sport. 
sport, not just basketball. Um, and it's all culminating in this weekend where we've got live basketball back. We're all wearing our colours. We're all driving to the games and um, looking forward to seeing and talking about the results next week.